lot of, uh, a lot of hard stuff. There was famine, there was death, there was despair and depression. And it's not really the kind of thing that makes you want to keep reading. Um, if you're reading that novel, if you're watching that movie, this is the point where you might turn it off. Because uh, it's, it's really depressing. And the, the narrator, or the Holy Spirit rather, uh, knows that. And so at the beginning of chapter 2, they're going to pique our interest by introducing a new player onto the scene. Chapter 2 begins with the introduction of Boaz. Now, if you've been following this, it's just random. We know the story, and so it's not as random to us. But if you're walking through this, this random character that, that, that it just mentions for no apparent reason, it, it's, kind of, uh, it's kind of surprising. Boaz is traditionally described in a number of ways. Uh, some traditions believe that, that he is the uh, eligible bachelor. Uh, some people believe that, that he's Bruce Wayne. He's the, the, the wealthy bachelor uh, playboy. That's a Batman reference for some of you who don't know that. Um, th there is uh, some that believe he was widowed and uh, that uh, he was, uh, didn't have a, a wife because of that. Um, None of those descriptions, though, are biblical. None of those are in the actual text. That's all stuff that we've added to make this story make sense to us. If you look at Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. That's your description. Worthy. That's it. A worthy man. That's all we get. Now, all that other stuff that I just told you about, we've added into that. But, but the only thing the Bible gives you is, is worthy. Now, some traditions, uh, some translations rather call that a man of great wealth. Others call it a mighty man of wealth. Others call it a, a man of great standing, depending on what translation you have. The Hebrew word there is ha'il. Now, here's why that is significant. Ha'il is, is a word that uh, is throughout Scripture. And it's translated usually something like valiant or a man of valor or a mighty man of valor. Um, we can go through Scriptures, Numbers 24. Uh, you, you'll, you'll see it translated. Uh, go ahead and click that next slide. Numbers 24 is uh, grow strong. That, that's the same word, ha'il, translated grow strong. Joshua 10, it's translated mighty men of valor. Uh, Judges 20, uh, again, valiant fighters. 1 Samuel 31, uh, uh, all the valiant men. Um, we could go on and on and on and on and on. It is traditionally valiant, mighty men of valor, uh, or something like that, except in Proverbs 31, where it's translated virtuous, but that's another sermon. Um, valiant, a mighty man of valor. That's the word that is used to describe Boaz. Now, that's significant because it also tells us that he is Sadiq. Sadiq is, is a, uh, a Hebrew designation. It's, it's a, a Hebrew uh, uh, class, if you will. This is more than just a church-going guy. This is a guy who meticulously tries to keep the Torah to the letter of the law. This is before Pharisees, before all that, that, that Jesus, but it's the same concept. This is a guy who is trying to keep the law as perfectly as possible. He, he wants to, uh, he, he's devout. 
Okay, We see that in his greeting. When he walks into the field, he greets by inviting the Lord's presence. The Lord be with you is the greeting he gives to his field hands. Because this is the kind of guy that Boaz is. He's devout. He is religious. He is deeply committed to being a man of God. The Lord be with you. Now, before we go on, we've got to stop and talk just a little bit about the Israelite welfare system. And, and here's why, because that plays into what's about to happen. Um, the, the Mosaic Law prescribed that a landowner would have his gleaners cut all but the corners of a field. The corners were supposed to be left, according to Mosaic Law, for the marginalized. That's the, uh, the, the orphan, the alien, and the widow. And so those were supposed to be left for those who had no voice, who had no ability to have their own income or whatever. They, they could come and take those corners. So this is not a, a, a glamorous or even a prosperous life. Most of the time, those people who came and took those corners could barely scrape out enough for a cake of bread. It, it, it's below meager. It's survival only. And, and so now Ruth is going to show up. And remember, I told you, a couple of weeks ago that Ruth is a rule breaker. Ruth is a foreigner and, and Ruth doesn't play by the normal rules that everybody else plays by. When Boaz arrives on the scene, Ruth has already caused a fuss because she showed up and she made a request that is not only shocking to the foreman but way beyond his authority to grant. She requested to glean in the field just like the hired hands. Now, most commentators will point to Ruth chapter 2, verse 5 as the love at first sight moment. But again, there's a lot of things that make that impossible, and that's not really in the text. That's our romanticization uh, of this story. Boaz is older, okay? First of all, Boaz is probably much older. We're talking a 50-year-old Oglin, a 20-year-old, okay? This, that, that's why this is not a, uh, a, a love at first sight moment. Um, second, Boaz is an upstanding Jew. Remember I told you he is Sadiq. He is a man of valor. He is trying to keep the law to the letter. That means he would not see a relationship with a Moabite as even possible. Because it would take that away from him. It would ruin his Sadiq standing. Ruth has nothing to offer. There's no dowry. Remember, in this society, weddings and marriages are, are arranged by the families, right? And, and the, the, the father of the bride will offer some form of, of dowry, some form of, of, of enticement to the husband. Ruth has not only no father to arrange the marriage, but nothing to offer. She has no land. She has no money. She has no prospects. In fact, she has a history of barrenness. So she doesn't even have the possibility of offering children. And she is a beggar at best. In that society, marriage was, was a family contract. And, and whether it was strategic or, or financial or political, it, it was not romantic. And in that society, a gleaner, a, a foreign, widowed, poor, barren gleaner 
was totally out of the question for a man like Boaz. To put it bluntly, he was out of her league. And so this is not when Boaz questions who this woman is. He's not looking for a hookup. He's checking who is she? Who does she belong to? Where has she come from? Now, the foreman explains to Boaz Ruth's request. And when he does, Boaz has to be a little taken aback because this is unheard of. This is not a normal thing. It's uh, tradition. Uh, traditionally, this is taught that, that Ruth is asking permission to glean in his field. Now, that's unlikely because it's already legal. It's already for her to take already legal for her to take the corners. It would be like you going and asking a policeman if you could walk on the sidewalk. That there's not really a point in that. It's already legal. You're not doing anything wrong. There's no reason to ask permission for that. Um, and, and if that is all she's asking, then Boaz's response is a little bit over the top, too. So, so there's something going on here that we're missing. In, in chapter 2, verse 7, you read that she's asking to glean behind the harvesters. She doesn't want just a corner. She wants to be in the field. Ruth is, is courageous, even brash, by, by this request. But she's asking for something that is totally socially unheard of. It is so unheard of that she could be not just expelled from the field. She could be socially ostracized. And, and as this happens, all eyes are on Boaz because it's his decision. What is he going to do? It's the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. See, the letter of the law says, let them glean the corners. The spirit of the law is you feed those who can't feed themselves. And, and Boaz is stuck in this moment between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Which one will he follow? Well, that's one of the reasons the Bible calls him a man of valor, because he does the right thing. Now, if we're honest with ourselves... It's a lot easier to follow the letter of the law than it is the spirit of the law. We, we, that's why you have a lot of churches who, who will teach this precision obedience because it's a lot easier to, to worry about checking off a checklist than it is to think about the spirit of what God is intending and trying to meet that. That is much more difficult. It's much more messy. It's not as easy. When we show up on Sunday morning... We do the right thing. We're checking off the letter of the law. And that really makes it where we can check that box off and then we can go back to our regular life. doesn't really intersect us. It's one more thing that we do. It's the letter of the law rather than the spirit. Boaz reacts in an amazing way. He her over-the-top request is going to be met with, with an over-the-top response. He offers her not only the ability to glean, but to be in the field with the harvesters. He doesn't just say, yes, you can. He says, but you know what else? I'm going to let you drink from the same jars that the harvesters drink from. That is amazing and unheard of because a gleaner should have to leave the field and go to a stream or go to some form of public water source to get water. She should not be allowed to drink from the same 
uh, water sources as those who are clean, those who are uh, uh, scripturally, spiritually, uh, legally clean. And, and so for him to allow that to happen is the first unheard of thing that Boaz does. The second thing is he offers her protection. As you can imagine, people in this place, the gleaners, were very vulnerable. You can imagine a young, defenseless woman in that society. Remember the judges' stories that we've talked about. Women had no value. In that society, in that position, a young woman alone in a field with a bunch of laborers is not safe. And Boaz says, she's under my protection. They're not going to touch you. Don't go try any other fields. You stay in my field because I'm going to put you under my protection. None of my people are going to touch you. You're going to be allowed to drink from the water sources that they drink from. You're going to be allowed to be in the field. And this is outlandish. This is over the top. This is nuts. And this scene here is all about grace. This scene in Bethlehem is, is foreshadowing a scene hundreds of years later when Jesus is going to come and, and God's plan is going to, to be the same. This, this Moabite dining with Israelites, this, this, this landowner, this, this man of standing, this Sadiq serving a foreign Moabite woman. He invites her to sit at the table, and then he serves her plate. That's amazing. That didn't happen. And I know all the gleaners and all the hired hands had to be going, what in the world is going on? Because this is nuts. He's letting this woman sit with us. He's letting this woman eat with us. He's, he's serving. He's putting food on her plate. It's radical and ridiculous. See, she comes to the field a beggar, trying to get some scraps, trying to survive. This morning, many of us come here the same way. We're beggars. We have absolutely nothing to offer God. We come sometimes and we think that, well, I'm a good person. No, you're not. We come sometimes and we think, well, you know, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty righteous, and no, you're not. Paul would say there's no one righteous, not even one. That includes all of us. That you're not, we don't have anything to bring to God that he needs. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need my righteousness. I am just like Ruth. I'm an outcast. I'm a foreigner. I have no, no pedigree. I have no heritage. I can't, I, I'm barren, I'm worthless. I have nothing to bring to God that would be worth Him inviting me to His table. We show up just like Ruth, Gentile foreigners, outsiders, with nothing to offer. We have nothing to bring to God. Nothing to make Him want us. All the riches, all the success that, that we think we have has already came from Him. It's, it's a blessing that He gave us. We're not bringing Him anything that isn't already His to begin with. And we're sinful. We have no righteousness of our own. We can't even come and say, well, look what I've done to deserve your favor because we have nothing. 
But in Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells a story about the kingdom of heaven being like people invited to the table. Luke chapter 14, verse 21, go out quickly, he says, this is Jesus telling a story, to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. That's us. Those who have nothing to offer. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Jesus says, I'm not just offering you the scraps. I'm offering you a place at the table. Just like Boaz does for Ruth, Jesus is going to do for each one of us. I have no righteousness to offer him. I have no success to offer him. I have nothing that he needs that, that, he can, that, that, that can make me worthy of my seat at the table. But Jesus says, we are invited to his table where he's going to serve us not just grain not just barley cakes but his own flesh and his own blood we've been invited to the table of the king where he meets and serves us that's gospel that's good news because I don't deserve it I don't deserve my place at the table. I, I don't bring any righteousness. I don't bring any worth. I don't even bring any prospects. I come a worthless beggar. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you my flesh, and I'm going to give you my blood, and you're going to sit at my table forever. That scripture that Sloan read this morning says that even in eternity, we're going to be given a place at the banquet, the wedding banquet of the king. It's radical. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. It's good news. It's what we preach. It's what the Bible, the New Testament is all about. That those of us on the highways and the hedges, those of us who are poor and crippled and blind and lame, those of us who, like Ruth, are foreigners with nothing to offer, have been given a place at the table of the king where we can eat the bread of life, where we can drink the new covenant. We're going to do that right now. You should have uh, some form of, of one of these little sanitary packets. And we make jokes about these things, but... As a Christian, these aren't funny. They're sacred. They're holy. And this morning, as, as we eat this bread, we're eating this because the King of Glory has given this to us that we may find life. As we drink this cup, we're drinking a new covenant just like the covenant that he's going to make with Abraham, he's making a new covenant with us. Foreigners, worthless, poor, blind, lame, with nothing to offer. This morning we eat the bread of life. We drink the cup of the new covenant. Bow with me, please. Father in heaven, we thank you. Lord, we have nothing to bring to you. We have nothing to offer you but yet you still invite us to your table.
It's amazing. We have no words to, to express how amazing that is. Lord, I pray that you send your spirit to convict each and every heart this morning as we partake of this bread, as we partake of this cup, that we be hit with the magnitude of what it means to be invited to the table of the King. Bless us, Lord. Bless us as we partake this. May we do it in a manner pleasing in your sight. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you are still invited to the table of the king. Not because you're good enough, not because you're smart enough, not because you're holy enough or righteous enough or anything enough. Because we're not enough. We're invited to the table of the king because Jesus is enough. He is enough to atone for whatever sin it is that you think is keeping you from him. There is nothing that the blood of Jesus can't cover. And whatever it is that you think is keeping you from God, I'm telling you this morning, Jesus is bigger. And we're going to sing a song, and, and as we do that, we invite you to come, whether it is to give your life to Christ through baptism or whether it's to ask for the prayers of the church. The Bible says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We don't claim to have righteousness of our own we have righteousness through our association with our king and we would love to pray for you this morning you've been invited to the table of the king not because you deserve it but because of his steadfast love because of his loving kindness next week that's what we're going to talk about and what that means because the concept of steadfast love hesed is the the, the biblical word it, it permeates Ruth and Jesus is going to later say that if you don't understand that, you don't understand him. And so next week, that's what we're going to talk about. But this week, that steadfast love, that loving kindness is what enables you to be invited to the table of the king. And we offer you that invitation this morning. Come right now while together we stand and sing.